All right. So today's today's R is druids. R druids. R druids. I think it's is. Doesn't matter. But it's plural. Yes, but it's a singular topic. Is druid. No, the today's topic is druids. Uh, today we are talking about druids. <laughs> Welcome to the compendium. Today's grammar lesson is on is versus are when relation to druids. And I'm going to encourage you with the strongest possible language to make that the actual start. <laughs> and at the end of it, we were we will have been talking about druids. Yeah, let's go with that. Where was? <laughs> Where it was, yeah. And then now is when the intro music plays. Welcome to the Compendium, a resource designed to help you spend less time learning D&D and more time actually playing. Welcome to the Compendium. We are back with another class breakdown this week. I am very excited because we are going to be talking about druids. Um, I don't, oh, I I've never we had... Talking, I thought we were talking about eco-terrorists. Is that not what we're talking about? I oh, mean, wait, no, it just depends on thing. your perspective. <laughs> yeah, that's the same thing. I think. Sorry, uh, I've never had a druid in any of the any of the parties that I've run. Um, oh, wow. I feel like I'm a I'm channeling part druid ever since I became obsessed with house house plants, um, yes, and so I'm excited starts. to talk about druids because I feel like that's kind of the essence that they exude. Um, and to my understanding, druids like the easiest relation to druids would be poison ivy from the the Batman series, right? Somebody that yes. is just like nature is the best. Nature wins out above all. Nature nature will last longer than any of us. Let's come back to nature and our roots, for pun intended. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're gonna break down druids. We're gonna talk about the class. We're gonna talk about their connection to nature and animals, how they channel that for their magic um, and give you guys all a, a glimpse of what to expect if you decide that you want to play a druid in one of your upcoming campaigns. Yeah, another good pull from popular culture would also be the uh, Bjorn from Lord of the Rings. He's that guy who turns into a bear all the time um to wild go shape. with kind of the wild shape thing exactly yeah um so there's a few really good examples in fact i think because of our conversation on rangers a while back i did a video on tiktok uh about all the great things about rangers because everyone loves to hate them and then someone asked me well could you explain the different subclasses of ranger and i was like yeah sure and then it turned into a whole thing and I've I've got like three of the of the classes left, and the one that has been far and away the most requested is Druid. However, Druid has been the most difficult for me to figure out, and I think I have it figured out now. Maybe uh, why is my voice so high? Um, but uh, I'm not a hundred percent on it, so maybe our conversation today will help me with that particular piece of content. So, Jason, how long how long have Druids been around? Uh, forever forever um, they're one of the initial the og classes oh okay uh i thought you meant like in the world um, no like in D D, uh, as far as the history of you know ad and all of that like going back to the original um how long have druids been a part of the the game okay so they have been around at least since second edition um but i don't think that they were really around for first uh or basic so we always have to remember that there was dungeons and dragons then advanced dungeons and dragons 
And so the second edition of Advanced Dungeons & Dragons is what we call second edition. So there's really two versions preceding that. So uh, you do get the Druid in second edition, uh, but in uh, first edition, uh, you only had a Cleric and it had a subclass of Druid. And in, Interesting. The original, and in the original, it's even more Buckwild, as you know, which you had the original classes were Cleric, Fighting Man, and Magic User. Um, but the Druid did show up in a supplemental book called Supplement 3, Eldridge Wizardry, that had the Druid, which is neither Wizard nor Eldridge. Um, <laughs> so, you know, who knows? Um, but... uh yeah, so it's it's a it's a toss up, but the idea of a nature based divine magic user has been around since the beginning. They just didn't get codified into something that is recognizable to us in fifth edition until around second edition. Fair, yeah, and actually, I almost like presenting them uh, conceptually. Um, for our discussion as a subclass of cleric, because it seems weird on the surface, but when you start to break down what a druid is, it actually makes a lot of sense because in essence, druids serve nature and they look to nature as the deity, right? And so mm -hmm. it, in a way that kind of makes sense. And that's, that's, I think, a way to put in perspective where druids, how druids go through life, where they focus and kind of where they get their magic from, even though it's not necessarily a temple shrine to a, a, a human figure or whatever. It's, it's that same kind of servitude and that same kind of devotion that you get from clerics, I think. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I, I could very easily see a, a character, uh, you know, in the game making an argument that the way that he or she or they worship is more pure or more encompassing than what a cleric does because depending on the mythos and the pantheon the created world was perhaps very commonly created by a combination of gods uh working in concert as opposed to a monotheistic which is very rare in the worlds of dnd uh, creation and therefore they're able to be in sync and in tune with the world created by all of the gods of the pantheon and so therefore they are in tune with their most prized creation perhaps um and even with druids too like you know they can worship various nature deities you know like pan and, and such but um they don't really have to and in many ways i think that yeah they have a lot of similarities to clerics in that they are both mechanically speaking divine spellcasters that use wisdom as their primary stat and have some martial abilities as well i feel like they're almost more like a bard thematically in the sense that their power comes from being in tune with the natural world and a bard has their magic from being in tune with the magical world right we've always talked about how druids and even kind of says this in the player's handbook that bards are hitting the resonant frequencies or the sympathetic sympathetic notes of the song of creation the magical right. element of it 
Well, if that is, is the case, then druids are going to do something very similar where they're in tune and uh, integrated and in, in sync with the created world, whether that's flora or fauna. So I, I kind of like that take. And what's really interesting, and I don't know if you've looked at this, we haven't really talked about this, Casey. Have you looked at the new one D&D playtest stuff? Only briefly. I, I Part really of me is kind of waiting on. until some more is released so I can look at it more holistically than like in yeah. bits and pieces. Yeah. And like we should absolutely do an episode on it, maybe after like one more drops. Um, but uh, it's it's causing chaos to some degree in the community because they're doing it piecemeal where people are have wild right. speculations and are scrutinizing like sentence syntax to like figure out other things the D D fan base is learning that they're all chaotic neutral yes, <laughs> pretty much um and uh but at the same time it's really fun because they they were going to go through this process anyway and to make it public is kind of a nice touch so i really like it but my point being is that they have divided spellcaster uh, spell lists into um into three different lists there is the arcane list the divine list and the primal list that rangers and druids pick from and so they're even kind of helping to make that distinction between other what we call now divine casters more clear which is i think a really nice touch and it, it gives us an insight into where they're going in the future to help these more be more distinct right uh yeah they're they're a great class i they think really and are. and i think they're nuanced but not in the same convoluted way as some of the other classes like you can really drill down and understand what their goals and their purpose is. Whereas sometimes like with the ranger, you're like, wait a minute, isn't this this class or isn't it this class? They're really their own unique thing, um, even though they're very nuanced into what that thing is. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's kind of like the mythos that's kind of presented in the player's handbook is it's really easy to figure out a uh, inciting incident or a, a cause to be a druid um, that they look at nature and the balance of nature and the ebb and flow of you know of forests and deserts and life and death and that whole cycle and so uh to kind of pull from what you said before it is a very holistic look of of the world and so whether they are um a bit more um aggressive in maintaining that balance against the 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 curses of civilization like poison ivy or they're more about protecting what exists like Bjorn is in uh, Lord of the Rings or other things it's uh it it really is really cool and so whether they go out onto the adventure because they are against the undead because it is a perversion of the natural order or because they want to see other biomes because they really are in a way linked to different um, ecologies different biomes and and, and uh, environments or and this goes way back to like the second edition druid to meet other druids of other circles in order to level up in fact they were capped at level 14 but only if they could replace the current holder of level 14 and there are only a couple like i think 10 in the world 
but that could be level 14. So you either had to kill them or take their place as like leader of this hierarchy, which is wild and like interesting world building. But right. mechanically, I'm like, nah, nah, I don't really like that. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, yeah and like as we're talking, reasons. like so many modern fictional examples and even nonfiction, but like examples of what real life uh, druids would be, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm thinking Avatar right yeah. like the it's the nabi right um yeah, nabi, in avatar yeah. those are very classic druids in my understanding i'm thinking of the colors of the wind from pocahontas yes. it's that idea of like we're all connected to nature let's um, just go fern gully let's just get the trio in here yeah yeah it's like as you're thinking about how this overlays there's so many examples in uh literature and movies that i think you can draw from as you're looking to build a druid and make them really diverse and understand deeper their connection with nature and why it's so important to them yeah exactly and they're just a cool class to play i mean even some of the things in here uh in the player's handbook talks about you know going against unnatural things like aberrations beholders mind flayers and then the undead zombies vampires so yeah th- there's a lot of strong motivations to pull from and then also a lot of good examples from uh, popular culture and history to pull from because you know druids were real people uh Mm -hmm. uh, with different beliefs that have changed and melded and mixed over time but yeah so it's, it's pretty cool so let's uh now that we've kind of talked a little bit about druids and and kind of some reflection of what you can pull from for inspiration for druid and understanding just the concept of that class let's start looking at building your base level one druid to get an overview of like you said their wisdom based casters let's kind of dive into some of the base level mechanics of every druid so that we can start to unfold that a little bit more yeah absolutely so um uh druids are pretty middle of the road uh classes when it comes to what they can and can't do so they have a d8 for their hit points which is pretty good um uh, a lot of uh, middle tier you know martial classes will have that rogue has d8 and such um and uh they're proficient in light armor medium armor and shields but then there's a great parenthesis here that says druids will not wear armor or use shields made of metal which Mm. leads to one of my favorite um jokes or little moments in DD there is uh, if you go to DD beyond real quick excursus here uh and you go to, to, to the sage advice uh part uh there's where they answer questions it says what happens if a druid wears metal armor the answer is the druid explodes next paragraph well not actually <laughs> druids have a taboo <laughs> against wearing metal armor and wielding a metal shield uh and it's been sent that way since Eldridge Wizardry in 1976 that we mentioned before and the original player's handbook from 78. They just prefer not to use metal or worked things. So, but there's always easy ways to get around all that. Anyway. Reminds me a little bit of the Mandalorian, the show, when it's like you you have to leave your helmet on. You've never taken, Mm -hmm. you know, your helmet off. And then it spoilers, but in that series, there's a there's a part where in order to do what he needs to do, he has to remove his helmet. And so it's that idea of like you've got your code and it's really important and it kind of rips you apart inside a little bit to have to deviate from it. But 
the deviation might be to support the greater cause. And yeah. so I think it's that kind of mentality where like, yes, you could wear metal armor, but it's really going to make you stressed out the entire time that it's, it's going on. Yeah, exactly. And also too, this is kind of odd because like metal is part of nature. It doesn't even say like worked metal. It just says metal. And I'm all, all right. So which could lead to hilarity if you have like a, you know, a uh, underground race like dwarves uh, to see how that goes. Now, uh, for weapons, you have clubs, daggers, darts, javelins, maces, quarterstaffs, scimitars, uh, which is metal, but weapons aren't part of that thing. I don't know why. Maybe it's, <laughs> not, it's not close to your body or something. Uh, sickles, slings, and spears. In fact, there's a couple of really great sickles out there that they can use, and their symbol is a sickle with uh, some oak leaves around it. Um, they get an herbalism kit, uh, saving throws of intelligence and wisdom, uh, unsurprisingly, and they can choose two skills from Arcana, animal handling, insight, medicine, nature, perception, religion, and survival. Uh, they get uh, starting equipment. They can either get a wooden shield and any simple weapon, which is most of what you have up there, um, or a scimitar and another simple weapon. So you can do a wield or leather armor and explorer's pack, uh, and also a leather armor explorer's pack and a druidic focus, which is usually like sprigs of holly and, and uh, a staff made of ash or something like that. But uh, yeah, um, they also have this kind of cool thing that I don't see get used very often, but they know an extra secret language called druidic. Uh, and you can speak it and use it to leave hidden messages. So like, you know, leaving like little tracks in the woods or writing something on a sign that almost no one else is going to know uh, you who and others who know this language automatically spot it because it's so weird. Um, others spot the message uh, with a, a DC 15 wisdom perception check, but can't decipher it without magic. So it's really is a uh, insular um, language that it, they don't teach to outsiders. So yeah, it's um, almost like thieves can't for rogues, right? Exactly. It's that it's like, if you're a druid, you're going to know this, but if you're not, you're going to have a really hard time finding someone that's willing to teach you. Cause it's almost like sacred to that group. Right. And, but unlike thieves can't, thieves can't is not a full language and takes like three times as long to communicate an idea because you're having to code it here. It's just a sacred secret language. Like it's a full on that you can speak and write, which is kind of crazy. And I like that very much. Um, then they get spellcasting at level one. Obviously, uh, they get two cantrips at first level from the Druid spell list. Um, and then uh, they uh, get some more spells uh, right off the bat. Um, they have two first level spell slots, two known cantrips. And um, with them, it's very much like the cleric. Uh, you know how many spell slots you have, um, but you pair your Druid spells from all of the druid spell list as long as you have a slot available to cast it um and you can choose a number equal to your wisdom modifier plus your druid level uh, minimum one spell um and uh th that goes up as you go so um yeah so you can kit out different spell complements all of the druid spells are known to you uh you just have to choose typically at first level four or so uh, that you have to uh, choose from to cast your two spells. So very much like clerics in that way, which is nice because it gives you a lot of versatility. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, spell casting ability, wisdom, like we said, the attack modifiers and spell DCs are the same as always. Um, they're a ritual caster, which doesn't get used a whole lot uh, in my experience, but basically if they there's a spell that has a ritual tag, you can cast it um, 
using extra time and not the spell slot. And uh, they get a spell casting focus and that's it for the first level. So uh, not much different than, you know, a first level wizard or first level cleric other than the clerics get their divine domain at first level. Right. And because they are a full caster. They are um, full unlike caster. some of the other ones we talked about that are either like half casters or a little bit weird. This is a very, in that regard, a very traditional full caster class where you're, they're actually a little bit better than typical full casters, you know, maybe like a wizard because of their hit die and some other things. They are a tiny yeah. bit more buffed. They can wear some armor, but otherwise they're, you know, they're going to be a little squishy until they level up just a little bit more. Yeah, exactly. And one of the most, like the two most common, uh, I, I feel like, uh, cantrips for uh, druids is going to be shillelagh, uh, which I have no confidence I'm pronouncing correctly. Um, but uh, it basically lets you turn a, a wooden uh, weapon, like a staff or a club, into a better version of that. Um, and so even at first level, uh, it's going to do a D8 of damage, no matter what it did before. Um, and it lets you attack with your spellcasting ability modifier as opposed to strength or dexterity if it was somehow using um, the versatile um, uh, thing. So yeah, so you're right. They are a bit better uh, out the gate than some of the more magic-only full casters that we've seen. Uh, I would say probably pretty on par with the cleric, um, but yeah. I actually kind of like this too, because if you think about um, just um, like lore wise, if you're really, if you're, if the goal of the druid of the class is to, in essence, commune with nature in a lot of ways, you can't just, it's not like a fighter where you can go take a couple fighting lessons and now you're good handling yes. a sword, right? That connection takes time. And so it almost makes a lot of sense that some of their more iconic features don't come until a little bit later because you haven't really formed that connection with nature until you have spent time with it and going alongside of it. And so it, it supports that side of the character like class a lot too. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and I think that's, yeah, really on on par for a lot of the uh, full casters uh, in 5e, for sure. Yeah. But yeah, that, that's first level. But second level is where it gets interesting. Everyone's favorability, yes. wild shape kicks in. So at second level, you can use your action to change into a beast that you've seen before. And in D&D &D 5e, when we say beast, we mean a specific kind of or category of creature called beasts, which are generally seen as naturally occurring animals like you would from our world. Although dinosaurs are in that one, and as well as a few other things that make you go, wait, what? Are owl, bear, uh, are owl, owl bears considered beasts? No, no, they're not. Um, <sighs> funny you should ask me that. Uh, yeah, because... <laughs> Famously in the new <laughs> D&D movie trailer that hasn't come, the movie hasn't come out yet as of this recording, but the druid does turn into an owlbear, um, but which turned into a whole like dividing line for the community. Like you're a piece of garbage if you won't let your druid uh, wild shape into an owlbear uh, versus the rules lawyers who are like, mm, actually, um, and I knew they were going to get that flack. I, I even told one of the people like, no, this is going to be problematic, but the argument most people have is, is either one of two things. So an owl bear is not a beast, but it comes from two beasts, an owl and a bear. 
it can't fly it doesn't have like a breath weapon or anything else weird it actually is really on par with other beasts of the same cr so it's like i mean it never occurred to me but yeah sure why not uh and other people are saying no watch wizards of the coast is going to drop a new book before the movie comes out that lets you wild shape into an owlbear uh or something that i wouldn't be surprised and the fact that to, okay huge little short tangent here that you maybe you can put this at the end of the episode or something that there is in um uh the rhyme of the frost maiden there's a prison that's like detailed out and everything that none of the adventures use and everyone was always kind of like oh, that's weird oh well we have a cool prison we can use for other things later and then in the movie they go to that prison they put that prison and invented it in rhyme of the frost maiden by request of Paramount and the Honor Among Thieves movie so that they would have a canonical prison to put their characters in. Which leads wow. to more credence of, I bet you there's going to be a, a circle of the owlbear or whatever. Yeah, speculation has some more grounds. <laughs> yes, which is awesome. I, I'm, I'm here for it. But, so Wild Shape. Wild Shape lets you turn into a beast um, at second level. Except for and, an owlbear. Except for an owlbear. <laughs> Uh, unless your your uh, DM is rad, uh, and then go for it. Uh, but basically, uh, I, there's restrictions uh, at second level. You can only do something that has a CR one fourth or lower, and it can't have a, a flying or a swimming speed. I, I wonder if that's not going to change in the one D and D because that's always struck me as a little odd. But at fourth level, you can go to a half CR, and it can swim, but it can't fly. And then at eighth level, it maxes out at CR one and no other restrictions so you do a giant eagle or something um so uh there are some things later on that can change that like your druid circle but basically as you go up in level it lets you be able to keep that form longer and longer so uh basically um you can use it twice before you do a short or a long rest and um you can do it a number of hours equal to half your druid level rounded down. So, so it would be a minimum of one by the time you get one this. Hour. Yeah. But at level 20, that would be theoretically like 10 hours. Although I think I'm pretty sure there's a capstone ability that lets you just never have to change back if you don't want to. Um, and just a, a reminder uh, for everyone who's out there wanting to multi-class, it does say your druid level. Your this druid is not your level. character level, it's your class level. <laughs> yes, which is sad, but fair. Um, and uh, the, now the reason that people like Wild Shape so much, is other than being to you know be able to turn into a dog and get those scritches, uh, and because animals are cute, uh, it basically gives people like this pool of extra hit points and even extra abilities especially lower on uh in in level but uh basically you can hold it until you run out of time you fall unconscious or you drop to hit zero hit points or you die um and basically everything gets replaced with the statistics of that um that new creature except for your alignment personality intelligence wisdom and charisma which is different than polymorph so you're just as smart and insightful and charismatic as as a crocodile as you are as your normal character. So you can still make strategic choices. You can still understand speech and all of that. And also, if you have any uh, class features, 
or racial features that could still be potentially used in this new form, you can still use them. Like a Dragonborn's breath weapon carries over. It doesn't go away. Yes. You For some reason, all my squirrels. The, yes. <laughs> I was thinking mouse. My first thought was like, you know, a, a one fourth or lower. I was like, oh, you could be like a little rat or a little mouse. And you said that. I just had this picture of like, a little mouse breathing fire <laughs> yep Andy, you can make it. anything happen as long as you can think it <laughs> yes well and now we've come back to the love of the game um and uh when you take damage in wild shape basically is if the say you have 10 hit points and someone does does 11 damage to you you that's enough to kill that form you automatically revert back to your normal form and that extra one point of damage carries over into your personal hit points. Uh, so it uh, not only does it give you new abilities, it acts as like this hit point buffer uh, that can make uh, easily your druid be the tank of your party. Um, you also can't cast spells while you're a druid, but you can maintain concentration. So You mean uh, while you're in wild shape? While you're in wild shape, yeah. Um, so you could do something like call lightning, and hold on to the concentration and then just change. So you can be a fire-breathing, lightning-calling squirrel. Yes. Uh, so there you go. I'm definitely not mentally creating my next character while mm -hmm. we talk. No. Yeah. And so now you can see why when you're like, yeah, I've never had a druid in my party before. And I'm all good. <laughs> this is what they can get up to. Um, uh, and then also at second level, they get their druid circle, which is their subclass. Uh, fortunately, there's not a ton to choose from, but there are some that have more like sub subclasses than others, which we'll talk about later. But uh, this is where you get your extra abilities and extra spells, access and all that kind of stuff at second level. Um, and then um, after that, there's not a lot outside your circle. So you get... Um, <laughs> Stay inside your circle. <laughs> yeah, stay in your lane, Druid. Um, but basically, yeah, at fourth level, you're going to get your ASI, your ability score improvement, that improvement to wild shape we already talked about. Uh, and then at eighth level, same thing again. Twelfth level, another ASI. Sixteenth uh, uh, level, another ASI. And you don't really get things that are not tied to your Druid circle other than increased spell casting ability, uh, spell slots and the like, until really, I think, level 18. Um, and this is kind of the fun thing, is that at level 18, uh, because you've been, you know, suffused with nature magic all this time, you age more slowly. So for every 10 years that pass, you only age one year. So imagine an elf that already lives 700 years. They now live 7,000 years, or give or take. They're basically immortal as long as you don't outright kill them. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, and at that point, it'd be hard to kill them anyway. So, yeah. And if you're a fan of Critical Role, that makes things especially sad, given how Campaign 1 ended, that I'll not spoil here. Uh, also, at 18th level, you can cast some of your Druid spells while in wild shape which is something people love doing uh because it gets even crazier um as um long as it has uh, only somatic or verbal components you're good or doesn't have those you're good you just can't do any of the material components uh, so a focus won't help you you know having a sprig of holly won't help you 
Um, and then the capstone ability is the Archdruid, which is what that thing was back in second edition at level 14, is you can use okay. your wild shape an unlimited number of times, which is buck wild. Um, and you can ignore verbal and somatic components of your druid spells, as well as any material components that lack a cost and aren't consumed by the spell. Uh, you can do that while in wild shape or in your normal shape. I feel like the level 20 druid is just uh, Maui from Moana. Yeah, where he's just much. like, you know, blipping around from one creature to a next to a next. And <laughs> that's really good. Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm like literally writing right. that down because I'm like, oh, because my video Maui. Okay, got little it. flying eagle. And then they turn into a tiny little bug that scampers underneath mm -hmm. of something. And yeah. Uh, so good. Yeah. So that's basically it. There's some extra things that came from Tasha's that basically opened up more spells to the default druid. Um, and also uh, lets you expend a wild shape to cast Find Familiar instead. But other than that, it's pretty, not much changed um, there, but it's some fun things. Okay, so with the very short and sweet uh, uh, overview of your level one through 20 vanilla druid uh, discussed, let's move on to druid circles. Uh, that you get to choose at your second level of being a druid, uh, which is basically the druid's terminology for druid subclasses. Right. So there's only one, two, three, four, five, six, seven uh, official circles right now, but Circle of the Land is kind of wild uh, and it has like a subclass no of subclasses. No pun intended? Uh, no, no, I'll, I'll own that one. That's all fine. pun intended. Yeah, all pun intended. Yeah, <laughs> um, retroactively. Uh, so basically, the first one is Circle of the Dreamers. Uh, this one is uh, Feywild based, which uh, is not surprising, but is very interesting because that's not nature specifically, but nature of another dimension. So that's it conceptually, that's kind of uh, breaking with the concept, but I really, really like it. Um, they, uh, access a lot of this with like uh dreams and visions and and, and magical dimension hopping and that kind of stuff uh so uh they get some things like called balm of the summer court uh where basically you have a pool of fey energy uh that's like a number of d6s and you can spend those as a bonus action uh to um to basically add uh hit points to somebody uh, and also temporary hit points so you can uh basically be an extra better healer uh by doing that um and can then, you do it to yourself um it just says one creature you can see within 120 feet so yes i can see me <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. you could wild shape you could do this and then wild shape you could wild shape and do this oh yeah this isn't a spell so you could yeah you could like buff and then rebuff wax on wax off Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yes, it's to stay in that wild shape for a long, long time. Uh and this is all level two, which is great. Um uh then there's things like uh Hearth of Moonlight and Shadow, which basically is like a magic sphere that gives uh your uh your allies like bonuses of stealth and perception, um, and things like that. But their capstone ability is called Walker in Dreams at 14th level. Uh, the magic of the Feywild grants you the ability to travel mentally, physically through the dreamlands, which is wild. Um, when uh, you finish a short rest, you can cast one of the following spells without expending a spell slot or material components. The spell Dream 
scrying or teleportation circle. Yeah. Um, this use of teleportation circle is special. Rather than opening a portal to a permanent teleportation circle, it opens a portal to the last uh, location where you finish a long rest on your current plane of existence. I so feel like this a, is Minecraft, where if you die, it's you just respawn. <laughs> yes, it's a save point. Yeah, which is is interesting, but uh, you really got to plan that out because if you took a long rest in some place uh, dangerous, but like you, it worked out okay. Ooh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, and then you have Circle of Spores, uh, which is all about fungus and mushrooms and uh, and kind of necroticy things. So seeing the natural decay of of life in the wild uh, is like, yeah, of course this works. Uh, this is one of the favorites uh, uh, that people really love. Um, basically, it lets you at, at uh, um, second level you get more spells like Chill Touch, Blindness, Deafness, Gaseous Form, Animate Dead, that kind of stuff. Um, but they get a thing called a halo of spores where you're always surrounded by these invisible necrotic spores, which sounds like a nightmare um, that are harmless until you unleash them on a creature nearby. Um, but basically, if something comes within 10 feet of you, you can use a reaction and just cause it to have uh, 1d4 necrotic damage. Uh, and that damage increases as you increase in level at uh, at uh, 6th level, 10th level, 14th level. Um and then they also get something called a symbiotic uh, entity where um, you can do more damage to with your halo of spores. Uh, your weapon attacks now also do 1d6 of necrotic damage and you get some temporary hit points um, when you transform into beast form uh, to your wild shape uh, You know that scales up as you go up in level. Um, they can also animate corpses using these spores uh, uh, to make zombies at level six um, and things like that. But their uh, capstone ability is called Fungal Body, which I feel like you should go to CVS for. Um, but yeah, the they fungal might sell a cream for that. Yeah, I think they do. Um, the fungal spores in your body alter you. You can't be blinded, deafened, frightened, or poisoned. And any critical hit against you counts as a normal hit unless you're incapacitated. Whoa. Yes, because I think the logic here is that more and more of your body is being replaced by mushroom or fungal systems. So you can't be poisoned and you can't be critted against because you don't you have You can't critical... be poisoned because you are the poison. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, actually. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's fair. So yeah, that one, while this is a very cool subclass, like... It's a little body horror so for me. Bizarre too. A, mushrooms out of yeah, like it's a little so Lovecraftian weird. and it makes me like uh I already have a phobia <laughs> about like plants invading my body. So this is like while these aren't like strictly plants, it's close enough. As <laughs> Casey looked at me like, wait, you do really? Um, so yeah, so that's uh circle of spores. Uh then we have circle of stars, uh, which is drawing on the power of starlight which is kind of cool uh, and it's very like zodiac and astrology going on and having certain constellations that have like special meaning to them because even the space is part of nature. This is where um, I feel like if you want to play this, you need to ask your DM if you can be a centaur. 
Oh, for sure. Yeah, I just watched a video last night with my kids from Overly Sarcastic Productions, which if you haven't checked out, you really should, talking about the history of the Zodiac. And it was amazing. Uh, really, really good about how you know Babylonians and the Greeks and yeah, uh, which makes me kind of excited for this. Um, but yeah, so second level, they have a star map, which gives them extra spells um, uh, access to. And then uh, this is a pretty common uh thing in the subclasses where with your two wild shapes a day or per short rest or long rest you can do something else with them instead uh and you can see it really clearly here with basically you can use your wild shape as a bonus action instead of an action and instead take on a starry form rather than be a beast so like your whole body just looks like looks like the night sky which is awesome um and there's three uh, three options. There's the archer, the chalice, and the dragon, and they each give you an extra special like ability. Um, the archer, whenever you um, that you can make now a ranged spell attack, uh, hurling this like luminous starry arrow, uh, and it does one d eight plus wisdom damage. The chalice uh, basically lets you whenever you cast a spell. Using a spell slot that restores hit points, you can also give them an extra 1d8 plus your wisdom modifier. So you get extra healing-y. Then the dragon, um, uh, when you make an intelligence or a wisdom check or a constitution saving throw to maintain concentration on a spell, you can treat a 9 or lower as a 10. Yeah. Which is pretty great because wow. it helps you with constitution uh, with constitution saving throws for concentration. And if you took things like Warcaster as well, like it's going to be really hard to break that concentration. Um, but yeah, um, and then even later you can get some like minor divination abilities about you know reading. Uh, basically, they're they're uh, doing astrology, reading their their star chart. Um, but then at level 14 is the capstone is just called full of stars. And, uh, when you're in your starry form, you become partially incorporeal, giving you resistance to, uh, BPS, uh, bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage, not non-magical, just any bludgeoning, piercing, or slashing damage, which is kind of dope. Yeah. I feel like someone needs to play this character and like have this backstory lore about how they were basically the uh, very godmother of Pinocchio that materialized yes. from the stars. Oh, that's so good. I love <laughs> Like that. it was all just a really big misunderstanding. He was made of wood and like, I just thought, you know, but now it's become this whole myth and yeah, that's what I'm known yeah, for. <laughs> the, the, the blue fairy makes way more sense as a druid than like anything else like a divine being or something oh wow that's really good i'm gonna write that down too um so i the next would be circle of the land but i kind of want to say that for last because it's a little intricate um so if it's okay i want to skip to circle of the moon um this is um basically like the more melee get up in your face and go uh, and go wild on wild shape subclass moon Knight style um yeah, kind of. Uh, this is like Bjorn uh, from Lord of the Rings. This is definitely his subclass. Uh, and it's kind of almost like the default uh, like druid other than like Circle of the Land. Um, basically, you have a combat wild shape and um, you can use wild shape as a bonus action as opposed to an action. And uh, you can use a bonus action while in wild shape to expend a spell slot and gain back 1d8 hit points per level of the spell you spent. 
So you can basically keep fighting and, and be healing your wild shape over and over again to keep it up longer. Also, it means that at level two, you can do um, CR1 wild shapes right off the bat from level two instead of waiting to level eight to get that. But you still have the other restrictions like flight and swim speed. And then at level six, your challenge rating continue, can continue to increase. It is a function of your druid level divided by three rounded down. So if you're level okay. six and you get this, okay. now- Really, wizards, for the love of God, it was yeah. usually just, like just give us a halved check, or something, and now we're divisible by three well, and rounding. Well, before it's just at level eight, you can do CR1 and then that's it. But with this one, it's like, okay, if you're level six, divide by three, that's CR2, right? If you're level 15, divide by three, that's CR5, which means I hope you like dinosaurs because you're about to get a lot of dinosaurs. Um, um, yeah, so uh, that's really cool. And it's a bonus action. So you can still like use your action to cast call lightning and concentrate on it. And then as a bonus action, change into a T-Rex and like pose for a picture for the side of a white van, you know, um, but yeah, um, which is kind of neat. And uh, they also at their capstone at level 14, you've learned to use magic to alter your physical form in more subtle ways. Uh, you can cast alter self at will, which can give you things like uh, it's like minor shape changes, like anamorph kind of stuff where you could like grow gills or uh, um, or claws and that kind of stuff. Um, and it's called Thousand Forms. Um, and so, yeah, that's their capstone. Wow. Yeah. yeah it, That'd it's be good a, for intimidation checks too. Oh, for sure. Um, it's it's really great. Oh, and one other thing too that's like a kind of a mainstay of a circle of the moon is at tenth level you could use both your wild shape uses at once and instead change into a earth elemental, air elemental, fire elemental, or water elemental. Okay, that's cool. It is really cool. This is a, a fan favorite hat, and this is an OG. This would be a uh, really circle. good one to pair with uh, a Genasi too. Oh, for sure. Right. Especially yeah. if you had it laid out, if you're like a fire Genasi and then mm -hmm. you could use this feature to like buff your fire capabilities. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's a lot of really cool things you can do with this. And it's not only is it really cool thematically, mechanically it's very, very strong uh, and lets you be like the tank or the damage dealer of your party and also still a full caster. So it's, yeah, it's just a lot, a lot of fun. Uh, then we have a uh, circle of the shepherd, uh, which is really all about like, uh, spirits and beasts and fae spirits and calling into those, uh, which again is a small break from the whole nature vibe, but like is not the underworld also the, you know, kind of thing, but more like the idea of this, you know, 10,000 year old forest has had many creatures and their spirits still remain here because they return to the land from which they came kind of idea, which is really fun. Um, and uh, at level two, they get speech of the woods. Um, you can converse with beasts and most fey. Uh, you can uh, read, write, and uh, speak Sylvan. Um, beasts can understand your speech and you can have the ability to decipher their noises and motions. So you become the dog whisperer. Um, 
but it does caution that most beasts lack a high enough intelligence score to convey or understand the sophisticated concepts. So if you ever you speak with animals, you've probably come across this. Um, but yeah, and it doesn't really grant you friendship with them. You can just, you know, talk to them. So it's up to you to make those charisma checks, animal handling, persuasion, and all of that. Um, and then also at second level, you get the spirit totem, which lets you call forth a nature spirit to influence the world around you. It's a bonus action and it's an incorporeal spirit uh, that you summon and it creates an aura, like a 30 foot aura uh, that's neither a creature nor an object, which is really important for certain spells and abilities. And basically uh, it lasts for a minute and uh, depending on what kind of spirit you've summoned, it has different abilities. So like the bear spirit, which again, this is going to like feel like some of the stuff from the barbarian totem stuff, but um the bear spirit, anyone inside of it gets temporary hit points equal to five plus your druid level, and you have advantage on strength checks and strength saving throws. There's the hawk spirit, um, which basically you can do a uh, uh, when a creature makes an attack roll against a target in the spirit's aura, you can use your reaction to grant advantage to that attack roll. So it helps you be a better hunter like the hawk. Uh, and you also have uh, advantage on perception checks while inside the aura. And then the last one there is the unicorn spirit. Uh, also not a beast. Um, it's a celestial. So I'm starting Charmy. to see why the owl. <laughs> I'm starting to see why the owlbear is okay. Uh, I, I was always okay with it, but now I'm like, okay, no, there's some good you know precedents here. Uh, is a protection aura. Basically, uh, you get advantage on all ability checks made to detect creatures. Um, and if you cast a spell using a spell slot that restores hit points uh, to any creature inside or outside the aura, each creature of your choice in the aura also regains hit points equal to your druid level. So each creature gains hit points. So it's not like a pool of like four hit points you have to divide. They all would get four plus whatever spell you cast, which is awesome. All right, um, this is like the whole all right, everybody backs together. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, we're going to defend Helm's Deep, man. Let's do it. Uh, then at uh, their capstone ability at level 14 is Faithful Summons. Um, so if you're reduced to zero hit points or incapacitated against your wills, like hold person, uh, you can immediately gain the benefits of the Conjure Animals spell as if you're using a ninth level spell slot, which at level 14 you do not have access to. It summons four beasts of your choice that are challenge, challenge rating two or lower. Uh, they appear within 20 feet of you, and if they don't get any commands from you because, you know, you're incapacitated, they protect you from harm or attack your, and attack your foes. It lasts for an hour, no concentration, or until you dismiss it, no action required. And it recharges on a long rest. That is a pretty cool ability. Yeah. That is really good. You have your own spiritual bodyguards. Yeah, yeah, like uh, like talk to my people, hear my entourage. Uh, then we have Circle of Wildfire, which is a lot of fun. Uh, basically, it's about the primal uh, spirit of fire with destruction and recreation, you know, going on the idea that there's, that's how some forests are like kind of renewed and only cert certain trees only release their seeds when uh, there's a forest fire, that kind of thing. So it kind of hits on that. Uh, you get new spells access to, and then Again, you can replace one of your wild shapes to summon your primal fiery spirit. Um, that is really interesting because it's made to level up according to your level and your proficiency bonus. So like hit points when you get it is only five plus five times your druid level. So if you're level 15, 
that's going to be a whole lot more. So it actually scales up with you. So they're fixing the kind of uh, uh, beast companion thing the ranger had where it kind mm -hmm. of would be outstripped really fast. The other cool thing that it has is fiery teleportation. The spirit as an action, the spirit in each willing creature of your choice within five feet of it teleport up to 15 feet. The creature, uh, then each creature within five feet of the space that the spirit left must succeed on a dexterity saving throw or take 1d6 plus proficiency bonus fire damage. This is the easiest way to get unlimited teleports at level two in fifth edition. Because you can just hold on to your fire spirit and bamf around the whole uh, battlefield. It's awesome. With your whole party. I mean, the circle's big enough that you could fit all of your party in there for the most yep. part. Like... And if you're trying to get away from something and trying to came up against you, they'll take damage and teleporting away doesn't provoke opportunity attacks. So yeah, there you go. Um, and for the sake of brevity, the capstone ability is the blazing revival, uh, which sounds like a church service I would have gone to when I was a kid. Um, uh, <laughs> or a Mel Brooks movie. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Blazing revival. It's, it's <laughs> oh my gosh, that's even better, Casey. That's even better. Um, your bond with the wildfire spirit can save you from death. If the spirit's within 120 feet of you, when you go to zero hit points, um, you can cause the spirit to drop to zero hit points instead and regain half your hit points back immediately as you rise to your feet. Uh, Circle of the Land uh, is our last one, which has kind of some cool things to it. Basically, it gets back to that original idea of certain druids being tied to certain biomes or environments. And so when you do this, you actually choose one of those environments to be specializing in. And um, it gives you different um, spells that normally are not druid spells based on the biome that you picked. It also lets you um, at second level get more cantrips and also regain some of your uh, uh, spell slots on a short rest like a uh, like a wizard does with arcane recovery called natural recovery um, and which is kind of neat and so the different uh, spell circles they kind of give you extra abilities at third fifth seventh and ninth level um, and so like the arctic gives you spike growth and hold person at third level which is like yeah okay i see what you did there uh, and then sleet storm and slow, ice storm, cone of cold, that kind of stuff. The coastal region gives you misty step and mirror image, water breathing and water walk. The desert gives you blur, like a mirage. Create food and water, very helpful. Uh, hallucinatory uh, terrain, uh, again, the mirage thing. The forest gives you like spider climb, bark skin, plant growth. Uh, grasslands gives you invisibility, pass without a trace, haste. Mountain gives you like spider climb, spike growth, lightning bolt, meld into stone, stone shape. Um, the swamp biome uh, gives you darkness, acid area, arrow, stinking cloud, water walk. The underdark, which is not a biome, but in D&D it is. Spider climb, web, gaseous form, stinking cloud, uh, insect plague, among others. Um, and then at... 14th level, the capstone ability, we, we with all of these, we kind of skip a few, but just to give you the overview, um, creatures of the natural world sense your connection to nature and become hesitant to attack you. When a beast or plant creature attacks you, that creature has to make a wisdom saving throw against your spell DC. On a failed save, the creature must choose a different uh, target to attack or the attack automatically misses. Um, 
And if they do make a successful save, they're immune to it for 24 hours. Um, the creature is also aware of this effect before it makes its attack against you. Um, so it's like the uh, sanctuary spell uh, from the cleric uh, book um, spell list. I'm pretty sure. Um, so yeah, so that's that's all of the druid circles, all the subclasses. There's a lot of really cool things in here, and of course, there are probably more circles uh, soon to come, including probably one that lets you turn into an owlbear. Yeah, the as we're talking about it, I feel like the druid class is easily, I don't want to say one of the most versatile because there's been other ones that have been more so, but I can think of really strong arguments for why you could play almost any race with this class oh, yeah. or multi-class really, really well with this class. So it, it's versatile in that respect that it offers something that will pair very nicely if you're intentional about your build. Yeah, exactly. I mean, not only like mechanics wise, which is where I tend to go naturally, but also thematically and story wise, like barbarians and druids, like there's a strong through line there. You you kind of name check some of the more elemental or um, other dimensional based races like the Genasi. Um, of course, like things like elves and half elves uh, uh, work really well as gnomes. Uh, yeah, especially gnomes, with the ones um, you know they have like mm -hmm. the connection with nature to begin with right they already have like a form of beast speech as a racial ability the ghost wise uh halflings uh that we kind of discovered from our favorite book the sort of coast adventurers guy would be really cool uh one of my favorite things i ever did is i had a um goliath druid who only wild shaped into very small things because his favorite, my favorite thing, let's not put it on someone else, it's, it's me. My favorite thing to do was to be like a squirrel, sneak behind the enemy lines, and then just like, <laughs> to this like seven foot tall dude with a giant uh, mess you up stick. Uh, the that element has a, of surprise. Yes, surprise. Um, so yeah, that was always a lot of fun too. So yeah, there, there really is no wrong way to play a druid. There's no wrong way to play any of these classes, but there's a lot of really like obvious, like cool things you can do both mechanically and role play and thematically that just work with the druid because and i'm going to guess here it's because everyone's part of nature and that's what that's the druid's jam thanks for equipping the compendium we hope you enjoyed listening in to the conversation this week if you haven't done so already it would help us out if you take a minute to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a good review we hope to see you back in a few days for the next episode where we'll be continuing our discussion delving further into the world of DD. Did we do a thing? Did a thing. You did a thing. You awesome. Did.